Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the universal ADHD question. Why do I not do what I know I ought to do? Cam, why do I not do what I know I ought to do? Uh, how much time do you have, Shelly? Well, for today, I've got about 45 minutes, but for the duration of the podcast, I have as long as you want to keep recording with me. So I love that you asked that because that really does um, describe what our podcast is about. Like our podcast is about that question, right? We're never going to be done answering that question. So, but we're going to take a crack at starting to answer it for you today, just to give you some more insight into where we come from as our foundation as coaches um, and why we uh, advocate for working the way that we do and using the process that we use. Yeah. Can you say that, say that the way you said it's so nice. So say it again, because it's, it's worth saying again, that same question. Why do I not do what I know I ought to do? Right. Russell Barkley has a, has been saying this for years around this notion that we know we need to do and yet we don't do it. And I would say that that is um, in the years and years that I've been working with individuals with ADHD and training coaches, this is the fundamental question. This is the, the grand unifying question. And I think that, and this is one of the reasons why we've started this podcast is to help people answer this question. And it's not a simple answer. If, if folks are looking for a simple answer, I think they'll have to go elsewhere because the, the answer is not simple, but it's worth exploring. It's worth exploring and, and what the answer may be for you. Um, yeah. And this is what we do with our clients is help them answer this question. I think I said this maybe last time. I know I've said it uh, recently in one of our episodes that um, ADHD is not simple. You know, if it were simple, then people would take their meds, do their strategies, and we'd be done. But it's not simple. If you were to, you know, imagine the perfect machine that basically disrupted habit formation, disrupted making of meaning, disrupted learning, disrupted management of obligations and relationships. This is the perfect machine. This thing that we struggle with, all of you that are on this listening in, it, it is in, in so many ways insidious and diabolical, right? Just in its effectiveness to disrupt our ability to cause change that we want to cause. And we come back to this fundamental question that is so frustrating and infuriating. So bear with us because we're kind of going to outlay, lay out, excuse me, the different factors that come into play here. So first of all, I want to start with, you know, we've got this machine on board that, that has us not appreciate processes. And with ADHD, it's a process of cause and effect that there are some 
um, executive function breakdowns that are where the causation occurs with ADD around regulation and management of certain areas, right? I like Tom Brown's model of regulation of activation, focus, effort, emotion, memory, and action. Also, challenges around response inhibition. And it seems so kind of straightforward and kind of dry, not that exciting. What's fascinating here is that when you take different combinations of this, of these challenges around managing emotion especially, but memory and attention too, it manifests in a certain way. And it manifests in a way that is really difficult to understand and appreciate real time. And so we're kind of like, you know, the, the, the one thing is the, we've talked about, you know, awareness so much of creating awareness and developing that keen observer. ADD, ADHD disrupts our ability to develop that practice of noticing our experience because we are down in our thoughts, down in our feelings, in a narrative. It's hard to see the whole picture and how these executive functions are actually impacting and manifesting. I think we want to kind of dig in one place or kind of like, you know, people will ask me, you know, just, just give me the tool, Cam. Give me the answer. That's destination thinking. And that's ADD actually at work. And what we want to do is start to appreciate the process and cause and effect. When we start to appreciate cause and effect with ADD, ADHD, excuse me, and how it manifests in yourself, then you can start to create the change that you want to create. So I want to, this is fascinating, you know, coming back to our unifying question, right? So there's that unifying question or this, the singular question of, again, why is it that I don't do what I know I ought to do? Everyone can identify with that question, but how ADHD actually manifests for individuals can be extremely varied, right? So, you know, in talking with new clients, I was talking to one client and he has real issues with rejection, okay? And um, recently, the whole idea of uh, rejection-sensitive dysphoria has been kind of coming out and we're learning more and more about that. And so you have a whole group of people who are very sensitive to rejection. On the flip side, I work with people who don't even know about it, don't have that at all. So how can that be? How can it be that there's people who have this RSD and people who don't? And, and again, this is the fascinating piece about how ADD manifests. I want to use an example here, Shelly. Is that okay? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Do you remember the spirograph? Yes. You know, a spirograph is like the little kind of discs that are the cogs and you get the pens you know, when you, and you do the spirograph, right? And it makes yeah, they, the cool little things. They still make those, by the way. I had spirograph art oh. while preparing my office for a few years when my daughter was in that phase. So yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a, I've had daughter, uh, 11-year-old daughter, when she was seven, she was way into spirograph. You know, and it's sort of like I was thinking about what's an example of something that's very simple and yet, when, and, and simple movements, but when you kind of just try different pieces, you get hundreds and thousands of different pictures from that, right? From the different colors and the different shapes. And so 
again, this sort of very simple process and breakdown in executive function, but the different combinations you can get as it manifests becomes extremely complicated. And then it's like we're trying to pin down this ADD or pin it down and understand it. And then we have people and neurotypicals are like, well, I thought you said it was this. And well, and now you're like this, you know, here you're super sensitive and now you're not sensitive at all. And what, you know, you're insensitive. How can that be? Right. It's a, it is a, it's a challenge of paradox, of irony, right. Of these things that do not add up. Again, another example is like one of these little pocket Rubik's cubes. It's like a two by, right? So my son bought one on a trip one time. And the two by, so there's only eight blocks, right, of a two by. So it's two by, uh, two by two by two, right? A little cube with eight blocks. And you think, okay, eight blocks, how many different combinations could that be? Right? I looked it up. It's almost 3.7 million combinations. Wow. With those six different colors, right? And so, again, this is the interesting thing that happens is with the executive function challenges as they manifest and again, mix with our experience and our communities and our environments and who we are, they manifest in ways that are very unique to the individual. So what Cam is getting at here is when you look at a model like Brown's model, right? Six areas of executive function, all of which have several potential symptoms for each area. The point he's making is the way that ADHD shows up for each individual is different, right? Cam, I'm sure you've had this experience. Um, A lot of what we do as coaches is normalize for our clients or connect them to other experiences that might help them make sense of their experience by sharing other client stories or sharing our own stories. And I would say it's about 50-50 that when I do that, a client is like, yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly me. And the other reaction being, well, kind of, right. but it's more like this. Yes. Right. So it's, it's, it lands, but it doesn't quite land. And some, and then also the experience can be slightly different, right? And when you have fallible memory in there and you don't remember the last experience and you, you spoke of story and I think that story is so compelling. And so what we want to do today is kind of lay out a picture for you to orient you to really a story in the sense of connecting your experience with ADHD and what is actually going on. So when you can do that, then you can actually start to kind of head things off, right? As they're happening. And if you can kind of pay attention real time, well, we can make uh, little adjustments, right? Before we go to a full blown out and emotional tirade, right? We can head that off at the pass. Or if we do so, we can have a quicker recovery, right? Oh, so, you know, Tamara Rozier and I at the, the International ADHD Conference presented on managing the emotional brain and getting to informed choice. You know, out in that manifestation area of our experience with ADD, that's, that's in that often is in the emotional part of the brain. 
right? Because where do we, you know, how do we experience life? It's through feelings, right? And many of those feelings are, again, like hurt, pain, suffering. Oh, boy, did I mess up there? And so then we go to this kind of vicious cycle of guilt, shame. And it's so, and this is why you and I are seeing this wonderful opportunity here with the podcast and our process of understanding, owning, and translating. Because if we can really articulate this experience to others and to ourselves, then we can become more resilient and more resourceful. Yeah. So in the realm of understanding, as Cam and I get into more client scenarios or scenarios of our own in future episodes, keep in mind that you don't have to identify with every scenario or every experience, right? And that's a good thing. When I give my clients a story or an experience that I think might be relevant to them and they say, wait, no, that's not quite it. That's the stuff of awareness because then they start to tell me what it is, right? So don't let us tell you what your ADHD experience is, right? right? Let us help you have the tools and the information and the experiences to compare to, to figure out your own ADHD experience. Right. And in one of our previous episodes, we talk about distinguishing and the yeah. value of distinguishing. And so you're talking about distinguishing. And part of owning is uh, overcoming the ADHD uh, habit of all or nothing and to really be more selective of, yes, this is my experience. No, this is not my experience, right? To come to understanding of what is your unique ADHD experience and to be able to articulate that to yourself and to others without shame, guilt. So are you ready? I'm, I'm ready to share my metaphor and it's big. How big? But, but I'm ready. How big, How big Cam? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, known for, I'm known for kind of big things, you know, big metaphors. Cam gets really stoked about a good metaphor, guys. I do. Really stoked. Here's the thing about metaphor, though, and again, some the reason why metaphor is can be effective is it paints a picture. I like to say that we often speak in postcards in the sense of imagery and metaphor is a way to relate to something. And so I want to paint this picture so that you can find your place and orient where you are. And so it's it's kind of big and broad and we and as Shelley and I have been speaking about it we realize that this is just the beginning, right? This is sort of a topical overview of this and that we're going to actually dig in to each of these areas uh, in, in um, future episodes. Here's the thing. The place where I'd like to begin is actually what, what I would call level one symptoms of ADHD. So this is um, you know, these sort of what we've agreed upon these symptoms of ADHD, you see them in the DSM-5. A good friend and former colleague, John Wilson, developed this strengths and challenges reframe chart, and uh, we will have it in the program notes. It sort of lists out the challenges, and uh, I think that we could all agree, again, that these are sort of 
accepted symptoms of ADHD, right? So distractibility, uh, rumination, easily bored, overly sensitive, stubborn, impulsive, hyperactive, risk taker, procrastination, crisis oriented, daydreamer, rigid, manipulative, emotionally volatile, uh, missing deadlines or underperforming. Right, so those are challenges that we can all agree upon. That is a great locating place. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of set that up as a, almost like a concentric ring. Right, it is a, a, a ring, and then on the outside of that is really all things how ADD manifests. Right, away from this ring, going outward, is the manifestation of ADHD. Because back to our clients who present differently, right? It's kind of like, imagine this ring is almost like this circular lunch counter, all right? And it's big. I mean, it's, 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 we're, we're talking large. Don't worry about the largeness right now. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it into the largeness in a moment, Shelly. <laughs> but that lunch counter is you've got these up here on the wall and it's sort of like you're selecting a la carte, right? that not everybody has all of these challenges. We all have kind of bits and pieces is like uh, of these, right? So if you just imagine like stubborn, impulsive, and risk taker and bring those together, they kind of conspire into kind of a, a super constellation of symptoms. Yeah. Right? And so this stubborn and impulsive and risk taker, all those together, they compound. Right. Um, just again, as that Rubik's cube becomes more complicated as you do these different combinations, and so you get people who do things and then uh, regret later, possibly. Right, uh, seeking stimulation, and so there's there's that manifestation, right, which has you wrecking a car, breaking a leg, right, or maybe just breaking your mountain bike right? From pushing too hard. Let's not talk about the three car accidents I was in between the ages of 16 and 18. And that actually brings up a good point because I no longer get in regular car accidents. So the other thing about the lunch counter is not all challenges show up in all scenarios. Right. It, it depends, right? So hyperactivity might be your challenge in some scenarios, but there might be other things you're struggling with where that's not a factor at all. And people change over time, right? Risky behavior was a huge part of my adolescent ADHD, but I'm older and wiser <laughs> now. Oh <my laughs> could, let's not, let's not, uh, we're Thank gonna, we're you. Gonna... thanks Shelly for reminding me of uh, my, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me risky behavior. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that <laughs> suppressed, Shelly. I so suppressed. Thank you for revealing that for me. Maybe someday, if this podcast <laughs> makes it to two hundred episodes, uh, we'll do oh, we a, share some of those. Yeah. We'll, we'll do an episode on our former risky behavior and oh my god, swap stories of our adolescence. Let's two hundred. Let's say okay, two hundred <laughs> episode two hundred. Book it. Book it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, so yes, for you, 
you know, and, and again, you see that with, um, with driving. Um, and statistically, if you have ADHD, uh, there's a higher rate of accidents. Now, for me, I'm like, I've, I've been an excellent driver all my life. Now, it was a bit risky. Uh, if you ask my uh, high school classmates, there was a little bit of risk there in, in, in uh, around 17, 18. But when I'm out on the road now, it's sort of like, uh, I'm like one of the best drivers out there. Me too. I, I can't tell you why. But, you know, my son who's 16, he's learning to drive. He's like, wow, dad, you know, I've been with other people and they, you know, you're really good. <laughs> I was like, hey, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Okay. So, but again, coming back to this sort of lunch counter and, and you know, these different combinations as you walk away and moved away from that lunch counter, again, you spread out in these different experiences that you have, right? So, let's just take another three, right, of say rumination, which is kind of that circular thinking, right? It's you're thinking about something. It's very difficult to stop thinking about something like, oh, right. So it, it could be kind of that rumination plus sensitivity plus emotional um, volatility, right? Or emotional dysregulation. So imagine those that you can see, again, how those three can kind of combined to have, again, something like a, a RSD yeah. uh, experience, right? Is that the manifestation and, again, the pain and the hurt from that. The thing that I don't appreciate when people – this is my opinion. I'm going to be really clear. When people talk about RSD and ADHD together – it's a little problematic for me. The only reason being is because RSD is very much at effect. It's very much at a manifestation where ADHD is more about causation. It's about these executive function breakdowns that are causing that, this ripple effect that as you go from the center and move out, it manifests in ways and the signal right? The signal in our brain is more and more intense as you move away and we're more at manifestation and, and effect, right? So are you ready to do the big metaphorical move here? I'm ready. Um, okay. and, but before you say that, I will be very open about the fact that I am a sensitive person. I've struggled with what the symptoms of RSD are described as, but Cam, I will agree with you there, right? It, I think it's a helpful name as in order to be able to name it, right? It's been a great awareness tool for me to name those symptoms when they're happening so that I can regulate, so that I can step back, but it doesn't speak to cause, right? Cause is at ADHD. Right. And if you're, and, and by the way, if you're over there listening, you're like, this makes no sense to me. Remember, you have ADHD on board, and it's that perfect machine that is, ap that is actually disrupting the connection between cause and effect, right? That that's the uniform challenge with ADHD, is that it, it has us live at effect. It has us live in our experience, with our thoughts, with our feelings, and be kind of, it, it, but how that manifests is 
we're sort of getting, you know, wagged by the, the dog, right? Or, you know, it's, it's the, uh, what's the expression there? It's sort of like, again, like you're just kind of hanging on to that bull, you know, and trying to hang on as, it's, as you're getting bucked all over the place. And it's hard to distinguish what's cause and what's effect. Um, right. And so to share another experience of mine post-diagnosis, I used to have pretty significant anxiety issues. Um, not all the time, but often enough that I was medicated for panic attacks. And for me, now anxiety itself, general anxiety, is a real medical condition. And I'm not trying to discount that in any way. I know some people who have that general anxiety that's with them all the time. But for me, my anxiety symptoms, my panic attacks, that inability to calm down was directly tied to me not doing what I knew that I ought to do. So once I began to manage ADHD, and started getting better at doing what I knew I ought to do, the anxiety symptoms sort of dissipated. And they're not completely gone, but I'm no longer medicated. And I no longer, for me, believe that anxiety is a primary medical condition. I believe that those anxious symptoms are just that. They are symptoms of my ADHD and the effects of not doing what I ought to do. Right. So sorry for that sidebar. I know you're itching to get no, to your metaphor. No, I know. And I think that, again, I, and, and I'll, I'll say likewise, that I had, again, in this, this imposter syndrome experience. And that is, again, a manifestation of these different level one symptoms playing out. And since it doesn't make a lot of sense, right, again, because it's reinforced, people say, oh, you're a bright guy you know, why can't you, and you were successful here, why can't you be successful again? It makes no sense. And you're trying to figure this out. And so, yeah, for me, it was an imposter syndrome experience. But like you, when I addressed the ADHD and started to find ways to be successful on the things I wanted to work on and get uh, meaningful completions, was when I was able to address esteem issues, confidence, um, skill issues. And now I know who I am and my purpose in the world, which is, uh, again, another whole podcast thing that we're going to be doing is our identity and our contribution um, and our purpose in our world, which is all context related. But uh, great examples here. Okay. So I, I just want to throw in one more thing before we move on to the metaphor that we've been teasing for the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, but, well, it wasn't like we we're going to do this, right? It wasn't like we're going to tease them all the way for like, you know, 40 <laughs> minutes of teasing. No, this is just um, two co-hosts who happen to also have ADHD. So bear with us. But I do think this is important to say. We are not at all meaning to discount those of you who have comorbid diagnoses and who are dealing with multiple brain-based conditions, because that is, again, a very real thing that many of you are struggling with. We are just relaying our own 
experiences. And in my case, an experience where I was diagnosed with anxiety and I believe I was misdiagnosed. But I just really want to make sure that we are not stepping on anyone or offending anyone that might have comorbid brain-based conditions along with ADHD. Um, because that's not what we're saying here. Right, Cam? Exactly. Okay. Um, it, and again, it's back to the example of RSD and ADHD. Uh, it's just worth looking at them separately, right? Because ADHD is more has more to do with this executive function breakdown than RSD, which is a result of ADHD and, and other factors. So here's uh, uh, this, this metaphor I want to lay out, we're going to come back to. And this is something that um, is just sort of coming to me in the last week as we've been looking at this question and thinking about what's the best way to help the listener. So it's really about orienting you to this whole world of cause and effect. And this is, I like to say, the difference between delusion and ADHD is when we turn our attention to processes, to uh, things that don't make sense to us, we can start to make sense of them. That is the what has sort of saved me is that just because I'm not good at seeing process or understanding process doesn't mean I can't get process right, or see connections. And so we're doing this because once you start to turn your attention to it, you can generate interest and curiosity and then you're going to have a different experience with it. Yeah, so you can, Cam highlighted the perfect diabolical machine. That machine can be bypassed. Right. So let's take our lunch counter. Ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So I want you to imagine Mount Rainier. So Mount Rainier is a massive volcano in Washington State. It's uh, over 14,000 feet high. And um, it's it's... It's incredible because just of its size, it's huge and it, it impacts the weather around it, right? So then imagine that it's Mount Rainier with kind of like the heights, right? And, and kind of hard to get to, right? I climbed it back in 1995 and you really need to know what you're doing. It's not a walk up like some of the volcanoes out there. And so getting to it, it's kind of hard, right? It's not easy. But all the way around it are these different zones. And I want to kind of use this as our metaphor. Okay. Down and away from Mount Rainier are these undulations and, and these deep valleys. And um, it's almost like a, temper, uh, like a temperate rainforest in some places. Because the weather comes in from the Pacific and it creates its own weather system there. Right? And some sides of it are kind of a rainforest. Some sides of it are drier. But all these different valleys below Mount Rainier are deep and mysterious, but abundant with all kinds of organisms. Right? So this is where manifestation lives. We talked about sort of ADHD and manifestation. It's out in these kind of rivulets or these deep valleys. And as I said, that the one person can have an experience of ADHD with a sensitivity and an emotional dysregulation and feel rejection. And they're down in sort of in their experience, 
right, on one side. Whereas someone, on, again, who doesn't have that but has a different presentation of ADHD is on another side. Now, remember our lunch counter? Yeah, where is that lunch counter? <laughs> that lunch counter just got big, Shelly. It just got big. And we're going to put it like basically, you know, as a ring around Mount Rainier. Wow, that's a big lunch counter. It's a big lunch counter. Okay. And so metaphor works kind of on the absurdity of it. Right. So bear with me. So we all live kind of down in our valleys, right? In effect, right? In the manifestation of our experience of living with ADHD. Now, as you kind of walk up into and, and get and start to walk up the slopes of Mount Rainier, you come to this lunch counter. And this is our orienting device, right? This is really, again, step up to this lunch counter and look up on the board. This is our level one symptoms, right? This is the symptoms that we've listed already. We'll have the sheet on, in the program notes. But this is what we know ADH to be as a symptom, right? Still at effect, right? It's how it manifests. And the reason being is because these symptoms were developed by practitioners, right? Over the years, it's what practitioners are viewing, right? When a child comes in to a practitioner to be evaluated, they say, yes, distractible, impulsive, uh, easily bored. It is a manifestation of the disorder, but we're still kind of on the other side of the lunch counter, right? We're on the consumer side. Yeah, it's an outside view, right? It's what other people see your symptoms to be. It's what the world at large sees ADHD to be. And not that those things aren't true, but they're not a cause, right? They're, they're the effects that people see. And right. the effects that the neurotypicals in our lives, we've mentioned this in previous episodes, often make assumptions and connect to the wrong causes. Right. right. And it's what we see too, right? That for years, I was the space cadet. I was the daydreamer. And I didn't know why. I had no idea. I was the daydreamer, whereas it seemed like most of everyone else in my class was not. Yeah. So that was me. I knew it but I didn't know why, right? And that was not really satisfying. It wasn't satisfying to have just that information. It's useful, but it's not enough. But if you, again, so you can imagine now what's on the other side of the lunch counter, right? So you can look up on the board and you can see these level one symptoms, but then behind in the kitchen, right, you often don't see back in there. Just imagine that you know, people are serving you, but back in behind, behind that wall, that's where cause lives. That's where ADHD actually resides with respect to executive function breakdowns. So this is one of the big frustrations is, we tend to live down in the valleys in manifestation. And as we come up the slopes, we get to this point and we're given this list of things. I'm like, well, you're stubborn, so don't be stubborn. You're impulsive. Don't be impulsive. 
you're hyperactive. You know, don't do that. Or, oh, my favorite, you procrastinate. So let me tell you how not to procrastinate. Right. Seven tips Seven to end tips. procrastination today. Right. But if we start to kind of be curious about what contributes to procrastination, what are the actual the, the factors that contribute to why I procrastinate, if we start to develop some understanding of that. So what we're talking about is strapping on our crampons, right? Lifting the door, lifting the little thing on that lunch counter and walking through with our ice axe and starting to explore the upper regions of Mount Rainier, right? To get up there and to look at see what's happening up there and the causation. It's hard and you're not going to be successful today. So this is why we're laying this out because, you know, again, remember, here we are with Mount Rainier and this lunch counter and, oh, did I, did I not mention shoots and ladders, Shelly? Wait, 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 <laughs> wait. What? Shoots and ladders? <laughs> Do you remember shoots and ladders? I remember shoots and ladders. I'm not yeah, sure. Well, how that- you know, you're sitting at the lunch counter and you're there and you're like, oh, okay, right. I'm, I'm, and all of a sudden, you, and all of a sudden, not, not by design, you slide back down into one of those deep valleys mm. where it's dark, it's hard, and we're disoriented, right? Of, again, it could be any kind of combination of these symptoms. But we have our own kind of, we all have our own little unique experience of sliding down that slide and ending up into a stuck place, right? That everyone we talk to has their version of stuckness. And that stuckness is often down in these valleys, right? Of, again, effect, right? Manifestation. And so to kind of, again, get your orientation and head back to the lunch counter, right? All we wanted you to do right now is get to the lunch counter. And what's brilliant about John's reframe chart is the first step is to accept, right? Is this me? Am I distractible? Um, Am I overly sensitive? Well, what's another way to look at that? So reframing is another something we like in coaching, just like distinguishing, right? Distractible, notices everything, easily attracted to new stimuli, overly sensitive, could be reframed as um, highly attuned, intuitive, right? Not that we're going to take these and just convert them into strengths, but if you look at some of these, right, these symptoms, there's a flip side to it in the sense of, is there a strength there? Right, I'm super sensitive, but I'm also a, 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 a high intuitive, and I use that in my coaching with my clients. And so this is sort of a toehold, is to not try to rush through to the other side, right? To like, you know, open the door, Cam, let me in. I want to get into, I want to get on the other side of that lunch counter. Um, you will, but right now, just sitting up at the lunch counter and kind of, okay, let me, let me see what my symptoms are and how do they manifest? How do they manifest for me? And when you do that, 
And you do that with your keen observer and kind of a little like, you know, a little bit above our topo map to kind of see yourself and the, how, how the, 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 the slide activates to have you slide down into a dark place or a hard place, right? Well, guess what? This is cause and effect. We're starting to see what is the cause of me slipping down the slope into these dark areas. Yeah, so Cam's point here and kind of the place to leave us for today, although I may ask for permission to toss in a little rant. I know that's normally your thing, Cam, but I've got no, one no, if you've got no. the time. I have the time. But before that, I want to summarize this metaphor and where we're at so far with this. Cam's point here is with ADHD, we struggle to get to cause, right? I would venture to say that most, if not all of my clients, when they come to me, are not past the lunch counter. They may not even be at the lunch counter, right? So it's not easy. And that's why we're going to come back to this in the next few episodes and talk more about how do we get to cause. And that starts by naming effect for what it is right? These symptoms, they're effect. They're not cause. But my rant is around one of these symptoms, Cam. And it's the word procrastination. Yep. So when I gave the talk that spawned this podcast, I was speaking to a room full of neurotypical productivity professionals on working with clients with ADHD. And I put the definition of procrastination on one of my first slides because procrastination is the intentional putting off of something you know you ought to do. Right. And that's kind of my beef, not just with procrastination, but with a lot of these labels is they imply intentionality, right? My clients what they label as procrastination when we get to cause, those causes are so vastly different and so unconnected to intentionality. I don't think we're procrastinators as people with ADHD. I think we're bad activators. Yes. But I don't think we're procrastinators. Yes. And I want to get that word out of our vernacular because procrastination implies laziness. It implies not caring. It implies low motivation. And I don't think that's true for any of my clients. It's not true for me. It's not true for Cam. And you know what? It's not true for you, listener. So kick that word to the curb, right? You suck at activating. That's okay, right? But you're not a procrastinator and you don't have to own that label. Right. Rant over. Great rant. So, and here's the teaser going forward. Can I, can I do a teaser? Do a teaser. Yeah. What's really fascinating is you might assume like what you know on the other, what's on the other side, right? It's like, oh, well, I know what's on the other side. It's these, uh, these executive function breakdowns, Cam, like I've read about it. Well, yes and no, right? I think that there's some interesting processes going on, you know, so I'm just going to say one, one that I found that I had to contend with, right? So the way that my ADHD presents is, I am generating ideas all the time, right? I have this fantastic idea generator, but my thinking around that 
idea generator was that I had to do something with every single idea because I didn't understand the process of getting things done. So listener, can you appreciate the dilemma there? And that idea generator, I would say, is uh, behind the lunch counter, right? It is, it is in the causation area. And it's fascinating that once I learned that I had this prolific idea generator and the problem that it actually created, once I understood it and started to pick and choose the ideas that I wanted to take to completion, then I started to... It started to get answers to our original question of, right? You say it, I can't say it. I just, I can't say it. I don't know. How, I, I can't say it. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't pop for me, Shelly. It's really interesting. So. Why do I not do what I know I ought to do? Thank you. It could be a lyric to a, to a, to a song. Yeah. But getting insight into that, then I was able to develop effective strategies. But there, I'd found a kind of a portal or a passage into causation uh, on the other side of this, you know, again, this lunch counter that we presented today. Yeah. So we will pick this up in our next episode and continue exploring around this metaphor. So stay tuned for that. And hey, if you like what we're doing here, you could do us a big favor by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also send your feedback, comments, questions, etc. to us via the website, translatingadhd.com. In the meantime, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.